1: Welcome back to Saved by the Bellini, the podcast. I am John DeBerry, and this is a podcast where we give a little bit behind-the-scenes look into the creation of my cocktail book, Saved by the Bellini, which is a love letter to the 90s as told through cocktail recipes. And uh, this next interview is with a legendary bartender, Toby Cicchini, uh who is the the inventor of the Cosmopolitan, uh, but not everyone thinks so. Uh, and the story as to why is super fascinating and you know, for those of you who don't know about the Cosmopolitan, it's one of the most iconic 90s cocktails. Uh, I do have a Cosmopolitan in say but the Bellini, of course, and so he, uh, that recipe and you know his influence on bartending uh, is is impossible to, to deny, and so I wanted to bring him on and talk about the creation of this drink and why people think that other people created it who aren't him and also what drinks were like in the 90s, because... Um, I think everyone thinks that they were not great, but that may not be true. So uh, give it a listen. Cheers. You know, the reason why I wanted you um, to join me uh, was because you are kind of widely credited as the creator of The Cosmopolitan.
3: Maybe not widely enough.
1: Maybe not widely enough. Yes, that's maybe that's what, why we're here. But you know, when I first started bartending, there was this one story about a bartender in... Florida yeah. Cheryl something. Yeah. Who was, that was, she she was listed in like a PDT, like Rolodex, like literally. And I that's who I thought it, it was. Peter and
3: Regan it, found her. Yeah. Like somehow in the woodwork.
1: And then it was, then there was like the Dale. Dale was the one who served the cosmopolitan to Madonna. And that was sort of part of it. Not true. And I don't know if Actually, that's even true or yeah. not. So exactly. So what's the, what's the real story? Yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean the real stuff this this has become this used to it's very funny how this has come full circle. Yeah. Because I I made up the cosmopolitan when I was twenty-five working at the Odeon right. in Tribeca downtown. Um, and for years and years as this thing grew and grew and grew and got its own life, it literally was a drink that I cobbled together for the waitresses that I worked with. Wow. Um, this woman that I worked with uh, named Melissa Huffsmith, who was this kind of hardcore chick, was in like an all-girl punk band and heroin addict at a point. And she was she was uh, pretty awesome, pretty rough customer, but I liked her a lot. She went out one night with a bunch of friends from California and she's like, hey, we were at um, Life Cafe on Tompkins Square Park last night my, my friends who are bartenders in California showed me this drink that's kind of like they knew from like gay bars in San Francisco. Uh, it's called the Cosmopolitan, and it's made like this: it's rail vodka with roses, lime juice, and roses glen- grenadine, Okay. and a twist of lemon. And I was like, "Oh, in a you know one of those up right. V-shaped martini glasses." And I was like, "Well, you know that's cute. <laughs> oh, that's really gross." That's gross. And I was like, uh, "You know, I can do better than that." And so I was just messing around with things, and we had just a couple months prior been sort of offered on a salver Absolute Citron, which had just come out. I mean, I think that the first flavored Absolute was the pepper. Wow. Like the year prior. And then Citron okay. came out, and we were like, dude, no way. <laughs> like, the flavor is inside the vodka. We just, I mean, you know, this is 1988. We just thought it was, like, the coolest thing ever. And, yeah, we had no idea what to do with it. We tried making martinis with it. They were grotesque. We were just like, uh this is super cool, I'm sure, but like, what do we do with it? And so we just kind of sat around for a while and kept trying different things, like sort of throwing things at the wall. So when I was like, oh, I want to redo this drink, I was like, let me use that cool stuff, that new stuff. And so I just, you know, used Citron. And we were doing margaritas with Cointreau and fresh lime juice at the Odeon at that time, which was, which seems like, Duh, now right. but was
1: somewhat unusual. Pretty groundbreaking. Yeah, I yeah mean,
3: people were basically doing margaritas with with you know uh, margarita mix out of a gun right. like squirt mix whatever it was um, and so Keith McNally who um, is was kind of otherwise the devil would still you know insisted we do uh, our margaritas with uh, real real tequila and fresh lime juice and Cointre and so we had those in the house and we were used to using them so I was like yeah, that's kind of the backbone. Like, I'll use this with Quantro and then balance it out with lime. And then I need something to make it red, and I don't want to use Roses Grenadine because that's gross. Um, basically, just high-fructose corn syrup with fake red dye yeah. in it. So... We were doing Cape Codders there, and I just grabbed the cranberry and you know dolloped it in like there. Ocean
1: Spray or what Ocean Spray okay. cranberry
3: juice cocktail, like the the actual original, which it has you know, has also come full circle because like um, I read in your <laughs> book that you're like make this you know like cranberry coulis with black tea <laughs> and whatnot. Like I also have tried a million different iterations, and I can't necessarily you can make a lot of different things, but I it's like. I've done like, you know, organic cranberry and this and that, I've done my own cranberry, sort of coulis with fresh cranberries and wow. and making it, you know, correcting it for acid with malic and, and citric acids and I'm just like, dude, this is not necessarily better than the Cosmo the way I just threw it together when I was 25. Like, it's it's a different thing and it's sharper and it's this and that and now I'm using gin or now I'm using Blanc Charmagnac and now I'm doing this and that, but it's just like, it. The Cosmopolitan is the Cosmopolitan. You know Yeah, like, um, You can say Negroni's only a Negroni if you do this, but then you can swap out all these different parts. I'm kind of all for that, but in in all these different versions that I've tried to, people are like, we want you to do an event where you do the original Cosmo and then you do like a new Cosmo for us. And then I'll like whip together some new fancified, you know, like aughts version of the Cosmo or like, <laughs> you know, like 2010s version or whatever. And I'm like, huh. And people are like, I kind of like the original one better. And I'm like, I can't really fault you for that. Yeah. It's a very simple, sour, and when you make it to my actual spec, it's very kind of dry and tart and adult. Great. Yeah. I mean, it's been bastardized beyond belief in the ensuing whatever the hell it's been, 35 <laughs> years, <laughs> right? 35 <laughs> years, is that right? Yeah, something um, like that. Um, and and also, so this thing happened. Let me get back to my point. So. I have been sort of forced to own my own drink after a long period of time. When when this, you know, like made its exodus from the from the Odeon to up West Broadway to then around lower lower downtown and then literally around all downtown and and then for the next 2 years throughout New York City from like right. 88 to 91, it was just literally we were like slaves chained to a boot blacking machine. Like we were just, I was turning out 250 of these things a night and every other bartender too. And every bartender in New York was like, you are that son of a bitch. And and I was like, what? I don't even know what you're talking about even. They're like, no, so-and-so Derek Greer, who works at the ODEON, told me you invented this fucking drink and I'm like, did wasn't even me or anything like, okay, I, I like I just tried to disown it for years and years and years That's until so until the cocktail renaissance came right. in like 2000 yeah. and then everybody like Gary Regan and like everyone else is searching for like you know sort of prima facie like who made these drinks who really right. made the martini who made the old fashioned who was the real inventor of the Manhattan blah 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 They're like well there's one drink we know You know, (laughs) I think we know that Tom Cicchini... But Gary Regan was like, listen, like, you tell this story. You you took this drink from, like, this super shabby, like, rail vodka drink that was making the rounds in, like, gay leather bars in San Francisco in the late 70s, apparently. And you then sort of reinvented it. So you didn't really invent it. Somebody else invented it. I'm like, well, Gary, he's like, I'm trying to find the real inventor. And I'm like... You found The Real Inventor. Yeah. Like that was a non-drink and I made it into an actual drink. Like right. the version that you know and the world knows, that's my drink. My mistake, in hindsight, is that I didn't rename it. Exactly. So therein lies your lesson. Rename your drink when you, when you completely reconfigure a drink. and Call it something else. And make it a lot better. Make, call it something else. Yeah. But I was just like, whatever. I mean, I made it for the waitresses and they were like, oh my God, this is delicious. So it
1: didn't even go on the menu? No, never. Wow. Never. Uh-uh. Why not?
3: It was like our little secret house drink.
1: That was like a fun little
3: I mean, I don't even little I, I wasn't drinking them, but I was making them yeah. for the whole staff. And it became this thing for months. It was like our house drink. And then it was very strange that like when our regulars started coming and being like, hey, can you make me a Cosmopolitan? I'm like, wait, how do you know about that? That's um, like our little secret drink. And it's like, oh, Thais told me about it. Huh. And then people I didn't even know who weren't even our regulars would start asking for it. I'm like, wait, who are you? How do you know that drink? like, oh, well, Donald Sultan told me about it. And it was like, I actually saw the sort of... The, the network. I, I saw the wires happening. Yeah.
1: That's so cool. Because now you just... You go on Instagram or TikTok and it's just like, boom.
3: Yeah, that didn't exist. Yeah, obviously. Um, pre all that. And and um, yeah, and it was very weird. And yeah. so it like just caught wildfire in downtown New York for like two years. And I think, you know, Dale sort of discovered it like two, three years later. Yeah. Sort of uptown. Um, and whole thing of like Sheryl Cook is just madness it's just some chick that Gary Regan put out an All Points Bulletin like trying to find who really invented the cosmopolitan so this like oh um, like this one and tons of other people just kind of just came of the forward and we're like I did I did like some guy in Michigan some guy in like Augusta Georgia it's like all these people like 12 different people from all over like I invented thank you for asking I invented the cosmopolitan it's just like no you didn't do
1: you, you think know? that they think they th- that they invented it or do you think that was sort of like a bad faith like
3: uh, you know like, <laughs> the, the stories are pretty I mean when you start to actually reading their stories you're like um, eh. and so in kind of a good move when when Absolute was purchased by a Ricard mm-hmm. from the Swedish government or whoever had it before uh they decided that they're like gonna like lean into the Cosmopolitan, and you know this is a drink that's made with their product, so they're gonna lean into it. So they have to find out the real the real story, like right. who actually invented this. There's, there's all these people out there, so they sent uh, a journalist from London. Like they first made inquiries. They're like, we're told that you maintain that you invented the Cosmopolitan. I mean, I got an email, and, and wow. I was like, yeah, yes, 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 <laughs> yes, I do. They're like, well, we're sending a journalist from England to. Take everyone's story down and we're going to sort of corroborate them against the sort of facts of the history of the cosmopolitan wow. as we know it would you be willing to talk to this person and i was like yeah sure so i actually sent um uh jacob uh, uh i'm thinking jacob greer what's his name jacob uh he owns the museum of gin in london and uh he has a gin uh label now um very cool guy uh, former bartender and he like just went around America talking to everybody who maintained that they had admitted to the concept and um, he's like just tell me your story and I told him the story and he's like what are the dates What blah, blah, this and that and then you know like a couple months later they're like um, congratulations you're the only person whose story actually checks out with like wow. all the dates of absolute releasing citron and blah 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 and I was like yeah, well, yeah I know well obviously yeah because <laughs> it's my drink by the way you know it's like I, well, why am I having to prove this? But somehow I'm having to prove it. Um, and ever since then, it's just been this constant, ongoing thing where, like, Tepachkini purported, like, who maintains that he's the inventor of the cosmopolitan. i like, no, like, I don't maintain it. I invented the cosmopolitan. Like, I, you know, Like, Sammy what do you Ross have to do to prove? To, yeah. I always joke with Sammy Ross about this. I'm like, do you have to constantly, like, reprove that, you know, Paper Planes is yours and penicillin? penicillin and it's just like, no, because you gave them proper names, you know, like, I didn't do that, and so I'm forever paying my penance.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it also has something to do with, like, in, what, the penicillin's, like, 06? Yeah. Right? So there was some yeah. level of internet.
3: Right. And and he was also amidst a bunch of cocktail bartenders while doing it. Who could be like, yes. Where I was just on the floor at the Odeon. And, you know, there are people, there are waitresses who right. I made it for who were like, yeah, like, you know, absolutely talk to Betsy Canna, one of my coworkers. workers and she was like, "Yeah, I was there. He did that. And the, uh, we drank them by the pitcher. We like, <laughs> it was, that was happening. He did that." Um,
1: did you have to do like what was your R and D process? So like you were you were given kind of like the back of the napkin spec of like it's these three ingredients, right? From your server who was like, "I had the Cosmopolitan and it's like roses, grenadine, roses, lime, and vodka." Oh, she made the original one in front, it front of you. me,
3: and I was like, "Oh, that's gross." And I was like, uh, <laughs> and I just sort of started in my head. I was like, dude, I could do that better. But then, you know, went through my shift. Right. And then at the end of the shift, I was like, oh, let's take a shot at that. Let me take a shot at that, at that drink. Yeah. And I was just like, uh, I wanna use this stuff. I wanna use that lemon vodka. And so I started with that and I was like, now I need, okay, I'm just gonna use lime juice and then I'll use Cointreau because I need to sweeten it. Right. I'm like, okay. I mean, we're basically done, except I need to make it red. I mean, it was literally that. I didn't, you know. Yeah. It was no more thought than that. It was like the work of five minutes. That's amazing. I mean, duh, that's how you do. <laughs> like, that's how we yeah. do. We've made, we've all made 14 million drinks right. that way. Yeah. It's just that I happened to make one that then took on this crazy life of its own over the next few decades. Yeah. And, and here we are. And people really are like, are. there's no way. Like, people say that, like, I just read on... You know, like Wikipedia that you're supposed to have invented the cosmopolitan like you're way too young like what? I'm like, really when was the first time you had a Cosmo? Like I don't know like 2007 I'm like, yeah Well, I invented it 20 years before that So I don't know what you want me to say like people are just like what it it's I mean I never refer to it. I just never try to refer to it, but I will Defend myself because It's like wait a minute. Wait a minute. This has been the albatross around my neck for 35 years but it is at least my albatross. Right. I mean, like, now people are trying to take it away. I mean, like, come on. Like, you know, like, I had to live this down forever. Yeah. And now people are trying to, you know, like, rewrite history. I, totally. You
1: know? And it definitely had this, like... I don't know what they were drinking in Sex in the City, but that's not...
3: Yeah, you a know, to this day, I've never actually seen, uh, an episode of Sex and the City.
1: Well, they, I've seen a couple, um, and they drink, it basically looks like they, looks like the drink that your looks colleague like brought Negroni. to you. Yeah, yeah it, it looks, looks, looks good like an here almost.
3: Yeah. Um, the thing about Sex and the City that is difficult for pe- people, are like, well, Sex and the City really put that on the map. And I'm like, that's not exactly the timeline. Sex and the City came out exactly 10 years. Yeah was released 10 years after I made that drink yeah so like there was this huge like meteoric like like landing of that drink in downtown New York after I made it like a year after I made it and for the next two three years and then it just died this complete natural death of New York things where it's like oh my God are you like, It's so 1991 yeah Get out of here like Cosmo. <laughs> and like and it just died 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 and like we couldn't bury it fast enough because as a bartender you were so sick of that drink. And, but it does. So, that like five years later, you were like, a cosmopolitan? Somebody just asked me for a cosmopolitan. You know, Great and then throwback. it was just like this little New York thing that had just remained that. And then suddenly, I remember bartending in 98 and being just like, what in the hell is going on? Like, <laughs> everybody's ordering cosmopolitans again. And, and somebody being like, oh, there's this show on TV where like these chicks are drinking your drink. Like, I'm like, that is so weird. And it just, yeah, it just took on. And, and I
1: don't know if in this show, I mean, I haven't done a close viewing of the entire show, but like, I don't think they ever actually talk about what that drink actually is. It's just like a Cosmo. It's like a prop. Yeah. Right. They're not like, oh, I'm going to go make like one and a quarter ounces of this. And then, you know, they don't give you specs. They don't break down what's in it. It just sort of materializes I'm sure in if every you ask
3: Candace Bush now what the spec of a Cosmo is, she would have no idea. I mean, I'm not sure. What is I'm your spec
1: sure. for a Cosmo?
3: My spec for a Cosmo? So, um... <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's sort of two versions: the 1980s version, which is like sure. an aquarium full, yeah. or the the current version that cleaves more to like the specific volume of cool. you know cocktail coupes that we use nowadays. But in either case, the the ratio is the same. It's yeah. two, one, one, one. So it's uh-huh. two absolute citron to one full part or one ounce. Like when I made these, it was originally ounces, so it was like a five ounce a cocktail shaken. Yeah. yeah. Um, But now I make it, you know, one and a half, three quarters, three quarters, three quarters. So one and a half absolute citron to three quarters of an ounce of fresh lime juice, three quarters of an ounce of Cointreau, and three quarters of an ounce of... Ocean spray, Ocean spray, cranberry juice cocktail, yeah. Which, you know, I just kind of insist on the original because I'm like, that's how I made it and that's how it works. I mean, I've tried all these other things. You can do any number of other things. Right. You can swap in Grey Goose Lemon. You can do this, you can do that. You can use, um, you know, any other type of triple sec, but, you know, I'm sorry to say because $45 a liter is tough to swallow uh, uh, for the price of Cointreau, but I just feel like... Dude, I made it with Cointreau, and Cointreau still, to me, is the best triple sec. People love Boudier, like, I mean, yeah. or Combier, I mean. Um, yeah, Combier's I mean, it, all right. It's, yeah, I mean, where do you come down on that?
1: I'm, I'm a Cointreau girl. Yeah.
3: yeah, I just think it's amazing. It's good. I mean, yeah. it's dry, it's got, like, two kinds. It's got, like, yeah. a sweet and bitter orange peel in it. It's really just, like... You try other triple secs, even ones that you think should be surprisingly good, like Jaffard and whatnot. And you're like, "Oh my god, this doesn't hold a candle."
1: I mean, my, like, the only other triple sec that I really love is—is is, I mean, it's not really even triple sec; it's blue curacao and Senor Curacao. But that's yeah. kind of a different beast. Yeah. 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 Um, were there were there like other like so it seems like this drink like had this kind of like almost like a viral sensation phenomenon um, among like industry people in New York were there other drinks that were that had that that did this or was it just something about this like
3: in that era? In, or yeah, like like
1: a, were there like drinks alongside the cosmopolitan that were like kind of you know taking taking lower Manhattan by storm that just never actually survived?
3: Not that I can really think of. I mean, like it was rudimentary we we were using rocks and and sticks to. To make drinks back then. Did you have lights
1: back then? Nothing. We really weren't
3: actually. This is, this is the weird thing. This is why you have a hundred and seven year old man in your in your studio right now. Yeah. Because like all this like sort of revisionist history of like the cocktail renaissance like brought cocktails to the benighted. Like right. they were amazing bartenders when I was like a stripling, starting as a bartender right. at like twenty three years old, twenty five, whatever I was. Um, and there were, like, much older bartenders around me who I would go to all these bars around New York and they were making amazing cocktails and, yeah. you know, like, doing beautiful things. And these people never get spoken of, never get remembered. It's really like Dale DeGroff and Sasha Petrovsky put cocktails on the map out of thin air. It's like, it didn't really happen that way. Like, right. there were, like, hundreds and hundreds of great bartenders in this town right. practicing through the 70s, 80s, everything. It's just like, this thing was all incremental. Like, people were doing, I mean... The 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 '90s were all about vodka. Yeah. Just all about um, uh, <laughs> what am I trying to say? Macerations in vodka. It was oh, just like flavored vodkas. About, yeah, like flavored the, vodkas. Like making your own. Like dozens and dozens of M4A behind the bar. With, oh, like, like you do it yourself. And ginger and yeah, like that was the cool uh, thing in the '90s. You'd walk <laughs> into like every restaurant, every bar, and it was just like all these glass urns full of berries and fruits and herbs and whatnot with like vodka, vodka 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 like all these flavored vodkas that's what like it was just everywhere in the early 90s that's, that's so interesting. It was yeah. and nobody ever talks about that now and you just wrote a book about it and you're sort of surprised
1: <laughs> well I wrote a book about the 90s as like a as like a way of exploring like pop culture in, in general not yeah. necessarily like I didn't I didn't really want to touch like 90s drinks like what yeah. people were drinking back then right. because like for me like I don't know drink history is sort of like kind of interesting but to me it's more like let's talk about what we're drinking now and like have a fun reference to like Jurassic Park or like Melrose Place or whatever Um, and I I knew that that any kind of like trying to have like a definitive history of of what people were drinking in the 90s was probably going to be incomplete and kind of a failure so I, I decided to like sidestep that very cleverly just to, to save yeah. my own credibility um but this is kind of why i'm doing this because I'm, I'm so curious to hear from because i think a lot of it like there's the kind of like the orthodoxy of like you know i was a bartender and i started bartending at pdt in like 2006 no sorry eight and it was like oh we're coming out of the dark ages and it's like right. with, you know death and co and like you know um audrey's bar Pegu Club, you know Pegu. these places were like Flat Iron. Yeah, like, this was like sort the, of like
3: these the, were like the beacons in the night. Yeah, but, I mean, and those places were all great bars, yeah. but it, it just didn't come out of thin air. Like it, yeah, exactly. there was, there has always been such a, a culture of cocktail making in New York City and and in San Francisco and in London and all these other right. places, and so there are now these key characters. I, I think you a in a way it becomes who who shouts the loudest after a while. Like true, gets the history, but there i just know i knew so many great bartenders when i was coming up and like they were much older than me and i was super young and like looking at guys in their 50s and women in their 40s who were just spectacular bartenders and i'm like they're never spoken of now nobody knows their names nobody knows where they were you know, like who where are they now like who knows but yeah. there were people doing great great stuff
1: yeah okay we're going to take a quick break okay. and be right back all right all right
2: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza powered radio. Learn more about Robertas' at roberta'spizza.com
1: So so're you're talking about like all of these all of these bartenders and all of this like bar bar culture and like these great bartenders mm-hmm. um, who were doing what they were doing in the '90s, like what I mean this may be kind of I don't know if this is like a rude question, but like what do you think like where did they go? Because it's like it seemed like all these people. They didn't get jobs at the super fancy cocktail speakeasies that everyone was. No, seeing. they
3: were abducted by aliens. I mean, yeah, I exactly. people aged out at that point. See, when I started bartending, was still kind of an ill viewed thing. It was right. like, oh, you're still waiting tables, waiting for your break. Yeah. As a writer or an actor or an artist. Um, so as soon as
1: you could get out.
3: As soon as you, you could get out, else. like you got out and you never spoke of it again, or right. you like when you found a real job, quote unquote. Right. And that's very much what I was doing for a right. long time, and. And you know it took it I you know I've told the story a million times but it took going to Italy and seeing my uncle there who was sort of this uh, sort of patriarch of our of that family side in in Italy and he was like you know what are you doing with yourself these days I'm like oh, kind of you know it's embarrassing but I, I'm attending bar right now and I you know like I'm thinking of going to law school I'll, I'll have a real job soon and, yeah
1: oh hey I, I did the law school thing too
3: yeah and he, <laughs> like came out of a bag on me like just was thunderously angry at me. He wow. was like, how dare you speak of a job like that? Like, if you're not doing the absolute best you can do in a job, you, there's no job that's beneath you. Like, but he just like screamed at me. Oh, like, I love like, that. And he, he was like my uncle Giuliano, who's this incredibly sweet man who I've never seen him angry. And I was just like, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I was like, holy God, like <laughs> Giuliano just like chewed me out. And I was like, and it made me sort of think and think and think for days. And I was like, you know, he, he said like, you do the job you're doing, you do it as, as absolutely well as you can. And that's the only way you'll supersede it and, and move on to something better. Right. And I was like, you know, Giuliano's kind of right in that, like, I consider this job beneath me. And so when I kind of look at what I do, I'm sort of a shit bartender. Like, I'm sort of snotty to people and I won't clean up their napkins. And I'm like, oh, you're making a mess. And I'm just like, I'm sort of a half ass like, snotty bartender because I sort of consider this job beneath me. I was like, what if I actually embraced the job right. and tried to be a really good bartender? What would that be like? Like, I don't i don't have to, like, be bartending still. I remember saying, like, if I'm still a bartender when I'm 40, I'll kill myself. <laughs> okay, well, that was 20 years ago. Yeah. But, um, so, like, that was my initial thing. Like, don't be afraid of, like, being too good at this and, like, staying in it. But, yeah. like, actually put yourself at it and try to be a good bartender. And I was like, oh, it's, it's, like, night and day. Like, I just was, like, it was making the realization that it was, like, I was actually... Really shit at what I was trying trying to do, like sort of affecting to try to do. Yeah. But when you actually put yourself into something, whole, you know, like wholly in thought and deed, it's a much bigger thing.
1: Yeah, I and, love that.
3: <laughs> and you know, I'm not saying that like the cocktail Renaissance didn't sort of change everything. Like, right. I was making really good drinks from the time I I opened, I mean, from from the time I was at Kincaid in the '90s, and then certainly when I opened Passerby in '99 which was the year before Sasha opened Milk and Honey. And, yeah. we, you know, we sort of would talk about that. And, but, you know, his take was like, oh, it's only you and I like, doing these kind of drinks. I'm like, no, it's, it's a lot of people, actually. It's, you know, like, Milk and Honey was an amazing, amazing thing yeah. and, and groundbreaking. And, and so was Death and Company. When I went to Death and Company, I was like, wow, this is wild. Like, I've been doing things very much in my own way without any contact with other bartenders and like just reading books and doing this and that. But like these kids are doing amazing stuff in very different ways from the way I did. And so this is kind of equal parts humiliating and fascinating (laughs) to me. Like I'm looking at what things they're doing. I'm like, why am I using a Boston shaker? These like 1828 tins are so much lighter and so much Like, this is really cool. Like incorporating things that I was seeing. And I was just like, wow, I've been doing this for 20 years and I've been doing things, (laughs) not wrong exactly, but like there are better ways. Like you've got other people with better ideas, then look at those ideas and incorporate them. Like there a lot came out of the cocktail renaissance that has like completely changed the path of what we do. And and a big part of it was the internet. And another big part of it was, the sort of rise in esteem of the entire profession. It's like with the rise in esteem of chefs, I think came the rise in esteem of the whole industry and certainly something as singular as those men and women behind the bar like like doing their potion mixery. And people were like, that's kind of cool. And so people actually started taking it seriously as a job. And that was a big, big change.
1: Yeah, that definitely was something I experienced where I – I really wanted to work at PDT because it was a really cool bar, right? And I was, but I was kind of like, oh, I went to I went to a fancy Ivy League school, like I'm supposed to go to law school. I'll just do this for a little minute, and then like I was realizing that I was like, like definitely this job is not beneath me, and like there are people way smarter than me who worked way harder than me who've been doing this for longer than I have, and I'm like Don <laughs> Lee and John, Deere yeah, God exactly. I was, was I was like basically roommates with Don Lee in college. That's how I got that job, and so and it was like I was among people who like were, were doing this job as, as their careers, and I and it was just like became very 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 clear early on that this this could be a real career, uh-huh. and I just didn't never look back, and I had a, I have a few people who were like, oh, so what do you really want to do? Like, what's your real job? But it never, I never, I think I only got asked that like a few times, and I
3: heard that a thousand yeah. times. You seem like a smart guy. What, like, do, what are you, you actually trying yeah. to do in life? Yeah,
1: this is it. Yeah. <laughs> Although I did get one sassy comment from my grandfather who said he says I, I see, he's a he was a professor at Columbia and he was like I told him that I got this job I was working at, at I was working at PDT and Momofuku and I was explaining to him like what I was doing and he's like so I see you're putting your Columbia education to good use. <laughs> and I'm like, Cool, grandpa, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I mean and then yeah, am I'm, I'm the first of his grandchildren to publish a book. Look as an there arbiter
3: of dad jokes, I actually applaud your grandfather
1: <laughs> it was it, it was pretty sassy it was funny. Uh, I will give him that um so yeah its it sounds almost like it's like instead of it being this like you know sticks and you know sticks and stones dark ages period that like just the the 90s and before even like were this kind of kind of laid this sort of groundwork of like of culture and skills that then when this esteem rose in the next decade, it became, almost like a perfect storm you know every people. generation
3: thinks it's reinventing the wheel, right. of course yeah. and, and needs to slay its elders and whatnot. but yeah. I mean this would there is a real sort of arc yeah. there's a very real trajectory and having witnessed a lot more of it than I think a lot of people in the industry right now Yeah, I, I see that and it's just like the people who like blew my mind with cocktails in the 80s and 90s are not doing it anymore and they're not named anywhere but I knew they existed, you know. Yeah, like I, that's how I got <laughs> my fascination with this entire industry. What
1: happened to their recipes?
3: What did happen to their recipes? I mean, the same thing that happens with how many recipes have you How many drinks have you made just off your cuff in your life? I don't know. 1,400, mm-hmm. 2,300, maybe less, but a good number. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've made thousands. Yeah, what have ha- what's happened to all of them, right? And and arguably, you know, easily half of those better than the cosmopolitan. And yet maybe I'll die being known for one drink that yeah. <laughs> you know, I made up when I was 25 for waitresses.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm all right with that. You're all right with
3: that. Yeah, I'm good with that.
1: <laughs> Saved by the Bellini is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.